are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope everybody has had a good start to their work week. And we appreciate you joining us on the line here on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama from 2 to 4 p.m. as we do every weekday. Also, you can watch the show on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Go and check out what we've got going on there. Truly is exciting times on On the Line. Lance, how are you doing today on this fine Tuesday? I'm doing really well, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. We got some NBA draft measurements on some Auburn players, which is quite interesting because Sharif Cooper comes in at like six foot four. What? You didn't hear about that? No. Well, I'm glad I got a genuine reaction right there kidding? on live radio. Apparently he hit a growth spurt. Did he did he what did he have the fro? That's my question. Did they measure the afro? That's no, what this I is legit. Know. This is him in shoes. That is it's legit. Six are foot you, four. Are you kidding me? Not kidding you whatsoever. Wow. This is not a bit. This is legit. And this is on NBA's like official website? Yes. Oh my gosh. Of course, all the responses are no way he's six foot four, but Sharif Cooper, without shoes, is officially six foot three and a half per the NBA combine. With what? shoes, going to be at like six foot four. What? Yep. No. Without shoes, six three and a half. If you had if you had asked me before you told me how how tall he was, I would have said he was like five eleven. Guess how tall J T Thor came in at? How how tall? Six foot eight and a half. What? What is this? <laughs> he was like six ten. But the big thing is his wingspan. It's longer than Giannis's. Really? 7'3". What is going on? Longer than the Greek freak. Wow. Wow. Six, three and a half. Okay. Uh, All right. That that takes away any concern about his size, I think, as a point guard, right? Like, if he's legitimately 6'3", put on some weight, that's, uh, wow. I, I, I have a really hard time believing that, but if that's what they measured him as, like officially at the NBA uh, Combine, like, wow. Does it change your opinion yes. of him whatsoever? <laughs> yes, it does. It changes it It changes it a little bit, just a little bit. The three-point shot, I can I, I, I can get, get past because there are guys in the NBA that survive without having a three-point shot, uh, but his size was definitely a concern for me, especially defensively. If he's six three and a half, he'll survive. He's nearly six foot five with shoes on. That's insane to me. So his he, measurements with shoes six foot four inches, but it was six foot four point seven five inches. So that's, nearly six foot five. I wow. And you play basketball with shoes, in case you didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Which I go on the record a lot saying this. Why do we measure ourselves? By any metric other than with shoes on. With shoes, yeah. We always are wearing shoes. Anything that matters in life, we're probably wearing shoes. Right. It's like whenever I look at a look at a basketball player, I'm not going to ask them to perform without shoes on. Why should I measure them without shoes? I should, should I should measure them in a jersey and, and with basketball shoes on. That's what I. Sh- that's what you should do. 
uh, that like genuinely hadn't heard about that today. Been busy doing other things, doing some research, uh, but that blows me away. On the NBA website, those are the only measurements that we have on Sharif Cooper. I don't have anything on weight on here. Actually, all that they've got on Sharif Cooper as far as measurements on the NBA website is the height. Let's see if I can scroll down and find anything on JT Thor here, which this is not the easiest site the to fact, navigate. The fact that JT Thor is only listed at 6'8 also blows my mind. I thought he was like 6'10. Six, six, and a half. Six, eight and a half. Hold on. Hold on. Everybody hold back. That, that like genuinely, wow. The, Keep in mind, and this was an interesting point brought up on Twitter already. Sharif Cooper very well could have hit a growth spurt. JT Thor was 17 years old last year, borderline 18 mm-hmm. years old. I don't know when his birthday is, but... He's bound to undergo at least another couple inches, right? Especially as he continues to get into the weight room. That's just science. I would think so, but the fact that he's not 6'10", like I thought this entire time, blows my mind. We all thought that he was Kevin Durant's size, but obviously he's apparently an inch and a half smaller than him, which when you look at them both play on the court, you would not think that's the case. I, 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 I think this is really, really, really good for Sharif Cooper's draft stock, and I don't think it changes JT Thor's a bit. It still surprises me, but it does significantly change my opinion on Cooper. Weight is 203 pounds for JT Thor. His wingspan coming in at seven foot three Gosh, point two five inches. That's thin, man. You got to be able to put on some weight. Like I, I, I know Katie was not. Keep in mind, only seventeen last year, but yeah, he's if if he's going to be legit in the NBA. He's got to be able to put on a couple of pounds, but coming Probably coming out of high school, twenty if I had to guess, I was going to say twenty. Yeah, I think two twenty five, two twenty would be would be right where he needs to be. But coming out of high, seventeen, eighteen years old at six six eight and a half, two two hundred pounds, like I, as an NBA scout, somebody that would want to take him late first round, I'd do that. After seeing what he did at Auburn for a year, I would pick that up. Sharif Cooper. Uh, at, at six three six six four puts him borderline in the lottery again for me. If not, if like in the is staying in the lottery. That wow. A lot of people are saying like top ten. Really, just on height alone now. I mean, there were a lot it. of people. Was it just like general fans out there, or is it yeah, legit like I think media personality? Everyone's freaking out because think about it the only negative to him i mean he was six feet tall or shorter in college is what it felt like if he's six Auburn four, listed him at what six foot six one, foot one the only negative to him if he's six four is the three-point shot and i thought auburn was fibbing with him at six foot one i did too i thought he was six foot zero Turns out they were and he just well, they, might, they might have been this is my thing is like like with jared harper like auburn would like put him at like six feet even okay like i think in his senior season he was listed at like six feet tall and i'm like there's no way this man's like taller than 510 and then whenever we look at a guy like cooper and you see him compared to everybody else on the court it's like i think that like even with the fro it's like i don't think he's t- taller than six feet like there's no I way i thought he was about jared harper's height and i've stood yeah. next to jared harper before just from when I was at Auburn, I was at Auburn at the time that Jared Harper was at Auburn. I stood next to him at a transit stop, and I look over at him, and I see his height. I'm like, oh, I'm the same height as Jared Harper. And I'm about 5'11", 6 feet tall, and that's about where Jared Harper was at. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's pretty cool. But now I'm going to be looking up at Sharif Cooper. I thought I was as tall, if not taller. I, I think legitimately – having those three or four in my mind three or four inches that 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 increase changes the game a little bit i think that does really really significantly to put this in perspective russell westbrook's at about six foot three and six foot three is trending to the smaller side of the spectrum in the nba but 
it's kind of the threshold you really want to clear as a point guard in this day and age if you're six foot three you feel confident enough that you can guard anyone in the backcourt in today's game of course Russell Westbrook still one of the shorter point guards in the game or, or more to the average side of things because you look at the modern day point guard now you have Ben Simmons out there at six foot six six foot seven you have Lonzo Ball at six foot six. You have LaMelo Ball. You have players that are much taller than what we were used to seeing at point guard. So the mark has shifted a little bit. But if you clear six foot three, you are a comfortable height for a team to draft you. I'm a little shocked though, Jacob. Have you seen any experts or was it just fans? I will say this real quick. There's also guys like Trey Young that are six one in a buck eighty. Like But they can shoot lights. They out. can shoot. And they don't play defense. See, here's the thing though. If Sharif Very Cooper true. is six three, six four, he probably is going to be able to play a little bit of defense, right? Like, he should be able That's to true. at that size, right? I would agree with that. Also, this probably helps him a little bit when he meanders into the paint and he's looking for yes. paint buckets. I don't know how much. There's still that element of his scoring that he needs to develop, but adding a little bit of height here helps him out. Jacob, was, was it any experts, or is it just a general fan opinion that yeah. maybe he can get back into the lottery? Yeah, it's just it's a lot of fans thinking, because – Look at it a lot. The whenever you look at the downsides for him, it was his three point shot and his height. Well, his height was probably a bigger downside than his three point shot because that's something that can develop. You never know with the height. So, with that being said, I think it's pretty safe to say he'll be in the lottery if he is six foot four. Yeah, I'm right there with him. Like his three point shot, there's no other other well, way to put it. He is six foot four. That's right. what the NBA yeah. said. That's official. Right his three-point shot last season was abysmal. Like, there's no other way to put it. It was just straight up bad. But he can fix that. His height, you got to be able to grow. And I don't think a whole lot of people were expecting him to make that significant amount to, to grow that much within an offseason at 6'4". That, that's fixed. So I, I think that does bump him back into at the end of the lottery or within the lottery what does JT Thor's wingspan do for him we knew he had an absurd wingspan if you watch him play basketball you knew about his wingspan but it is something to be said that his wingspan is longer than that of Giannis Antetokounmpo who is significantly taller than JT Thor we're not saying that he's better than Giannis Antetokounmpo but his wingspan is now that that's on paper that could be a boost for him, maybe, right. or do you think it won't be? Well, when you look at a guy like Thor, it, like from a physical standpoint, if you're trying to to size him up and you're trying to score on him, if you're if you're the same weight as him, you're probably going to be able to go through him, but you're not going to be able to get around him with that wingspan. You might not be able to get above him if you're trying to get a shot up or a layup up. So I, I think that does a lot for him. It, whenever scouts are looking at this guy and they say, okay, this guy can play a little bit of defense if he can get more comfortable, if he can within his own body, if he can put on a little bit more weight he's going to be incredibly talented and also get more comfortable with the ball and you'll be able to score and be able to get past people really easily uh, I think I think it's something else to look at with Thor and go ooh, he's he's raw but he's he's talented I don't think it moves him higher than 20 just because they put onto a piece of paper that this guy's wingspan is super long I don't think it moves him higher than that he's still a raw prospect but yeah. if anything this legitimizes now the hype about him as a draftable prospect He's too much of a project to be put in the top 20, but I think he can really be moved into the first round with that kind of wingspan and the upside he has because everyone calls him NBA Draft Twitter's favorite prospect, and that gives more reason for that. So if the fans want him, a team might reach for him.
Have you changed your opinion on JT Thorland? No, I think he's going to be late first round. I think he's sitting yeah. where we saw that Bleacher Report article put him. I think that's accurate for him. And it, I know you were a little bit colder on him getting drafted. See, that's my thing. Is like initially, I didn't think that he was he deserved to be that high. But after after seeing so many people say, well, actually, he could go late first round, and then also getting some measurables on him, I think that's about where he should sit, late first round, early second round. I think that's where he'll go. I th- the more I th- the more I'm looking at the situation, the more confident I. Am in him getting drafted period that's kind of where I was sitting at the beginning of this is like I'm afraid that he's not going to I said that on the show I think I said it multiple times but the more that things come out the more confident I am that he will get drafted but I don't think it's going to be incredibly high this is tantalizing I didn't expect any of this to come out today this is tantalizing other news Texas wide receiver Jake Smith a slot wide receiver coming in at about six feet tall keeping this theme of measurements going around but he had 23 catches or so for about 300 yards last year and three touchdowns so pretty good efficiency at the wide receiver position he has entered the transfer portal yes sir let's get him let's pick him up have we heard anything about Demetrius Robertson from Georgia nothing at all as far as Auburn uh, going after that guy or at least evaluating him nothing Man, I really hope that they would go after a guy like that. But Jake Smith is somebody else that I think you could definitely take a look at. How tall is he? Six two, six foot, six feet tall. Let's see. 20, He's a slot receiver. Twenty three receptions, two hundred ninety four yards, three touchdowns last season, two hundred seventy four yards in two thousand and nineteen. He's somebody that Auburn can use. I think he could add a little bit of depth to this receiver receiving core. He could be the Will Hastings uh, of this new Brian Harson offense. I think that could be a lot of fun. He's a veteran, a junior wide receiver, at least I believe he was going into his junior season, and he produced for him. Still three touchdowns, He played in six of the seven games for Texas last year, or he maybe started six of seven games. I need to go and find information on that, but still the three touchdowns on nearly 300 receiving yards, that's something that could really be useful in Auburn's young receiving core right now. Yep, he scored a touchdown against West Virginia, store, scored a touchdown against number six Oklahoma State. Texas won that game in overtime, and then he scored a touchdown in a 33-31 to loss to TCU. So in their, in, in, in their important games, he was an actual factor. You look at his stats across the board as far as the season, the entire season last year was concerned he was he was he was a consistent factor in the Texas offense but he was not like a like a a big big play threat guy he wasn't a huge numbers guy but he was he was definitely there he was getting receptions last year he started six of seven games he played in catching 23 passes for 294 yards and three touchdowns his freshman season in Austin he caught 25 passes for 274 yards and six touchdowns so across his career You've seen nine TDs for Jake Smith. Those six scores in his freshman year was ranked fourth most among all FBS freshman pass catchers in 2019. This could be a really good addition as far as, do you think he would start for Auburn? I think so. This could be a really good depth piece, or it could be a third option for Auburn in their in their receiver room. I think that would be somebody that Auburn should definitely look at, and I really think they should go after Demetrius from Georgia. I really think that's somebody that they need to evaluate. Jake Smith started at Texas six of seven games last year. He played a significant amount as a freshman. He's got more experience than any of these receivers on Auburn's roster at the moment. I think he would have to start if he were to come to Auburn, but of course, he just entered the transfer portal, or it was just reported that he entered the transfer portal today. So what does that mean? Is Auburn even going to target this guy? 
that that's all up in the air. Former four-star wide receiver, you know, you and I can say all day long, man, Auburn needs a, a good wide receiver, and Auburn needs to go and target one of the transfer portal. We've had beat writer after beat writer on. We've asked them, where should Auburn go in the transfer portal? Where might Auburn go in the transfer portal over the summer? And beat writer after beat writer is going to say wide receiver and offensive line, right? But we have not seen anything about that since we've gotten into June and the recruiting period is amped up it's just all quiet out there and so me and you could say all day long that we want Auburn to get a guy like this but it may not even be in the cards right I'm watching some highlights on him right now and he's got speed at that at the slot position he's got speed I just watched uh Ellinger th- complete a 53 yard touchdown pass to him it was nice like it, he 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 could be somebody that I think Auburn should should at least evaluate. Um, but but as far how bad is Auburn hurting for not having Grant Calcaterra, the Oklahoma transfer tight mm-hmm. end? Do you remember him? I do, and he transferred to SMU right after decommitting from Auburn. I don't because Malzahn was let go. Of course, he was recruited by Malzahn. Well, here's the thing, right? And I think Christian Clemente mentioned this last Friday. Auburn's got a lot of tight ends in that in that room right now. They've got Schenker. They've they've got they've got Fromm. They've got uh, Brandon Frazier, uh, who we have yet to see, even though he was really hyped up uh, during I believe it was last year's off season because it's like oh it's a six seven tight end coming in. This could be a lot of fun, but. I don't know if he would have been able to break through. Now, as far as my, my my tight end rankings, if he was on the roster this year, I would say that he would be he would be my number five because might even of, be higher on that list. Might even be higher because he's uh, that's what I was I was talking about last Friday among like, SEC tight ends. Right. By the way, everybody, we ranked that last week or earlier this week. Auburn needs a a, a tight end that's legitimate in the pass game, not in the block in in, in blocking like Luke Deal or Shanker is. I need somebody that can go out there, run a route, and actually catch a pass. And Calcaterra actually showed he could do that during his time at Oklahoma. So I I, I don't think it's significant, but. It would have been somebody that Auburn should have tried to hold on to if they did not already. My thing is, Calcaterra can be put out in the slot. He mm-hmm. was athletic enough to do that. He didn't just have to be an inline tight end. He could actually act as kind of a Salvatore Canella type of receiver. And it could have worked really well for Auburn to have Calcaterra. Now that I've seen what the receiver room looks like after the spring, I think Auburn's missing any type of veteran shorthanded possession wide receiver that they could have had Auburn sorely missing that right now yeah I w- real quick I want to go back to the Cooper situation I just got a text somebody told me that Cooper is like Fletch from the 1985 movie do you remember that movie talking about uh, Fletch's Laker dream I believe was was the uh, title of the video he the the character in question had a really big afro and he uh, the text says Cooper's like Fletch six foot five but with the hair he's six foot nine <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great let's take a quick break here when we come back We'll do a little Auburn football schedule analysis, take a look at a sneaky team and the Georgia State Panthers. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board for us. Jacob, give us an update on what's going on in the College World Series in Omaha between Tennessee and Texas. Who would have thought the UT teams would be in the elimination bracket and honestly it takes so much excitement out of this college world series for me that those two one of them's going home today yeah i mean i I like the underdog story sometimes but yeah it would have been nice to see one of these teams win but virginia mississippi state got big upsets against them in the opening round but tennessee did just tie the game up at four in the top of the fourth inning still threatening with runners on first and second with one out get this guys 
get this. Vanderbilt's on the precipice. Tennessee and Texas both are on the precipice. I mean, when you're Vanderbilt and you lose after lighter shoves, what can you do? We've already lost Arizona, another top five national seed. We're about to lose another top five national seed. We're about to lose a top three national seed between Texas or Tennessee because Texas was two, Tennessee was three. So you're about to lose one of those two teams right there. And then Vanderbilt is on the precipice, and they're a top four. Omaha is being ran right now by the underdogs. Give me an NC State-Virginia final. <laughs> no. ACC supremacist over here. Elitist. You're the elitist. You're like, oh, I want the top teams in. That's right. I do. I want to see the best baseball game possible. Which is why I think we should never expand the college football playoff. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but for real, how is Mississippi State doing? Aren't they, aren't they, aren't they, they just doing, beat Texas the other day. They're, they're in the winner's fine. bracket today playing Virginia. Come on, Mississippi State. The, nope. flow, the flow chart better even itself out. That's all I'll After I'll what say. Virginia did to Tennessee the other yeah. day. Be, I was mad about that. They'll be throwing them a cloud, and I think they'll have a really good shot at beating up on Virginia. Well, the pitching level's out. And Virginia, a lot of what they do, they've got a great bullpen, but their lineup is batting like 260 as a team when they were coming into the postseason. That's not good. And Mississippi State's at least got SEC bats. So I'm with you. Mississippi State should advance. But I did go and say on Twitter last week that Virginia wouldn't win a game in Omaha, and here we are. I'm sorry, did you say SEC bats? Are you going with the flow chart? Are you oh, saying yeah. the SEC's just simply better? Oh, yeah. Every single time, oh, yeah. boys. That's it doesn't fail. That's why I don't want ja- what Jacob wants with Virginia and NC State. Or I just, want, I just want the little game. guy to win. I can't wait until football season gets here and I get to use the flow chart obnoxiously on every single pick we do. <laughs> <laughs> like he is like all right we got arkansas state and toledo going down today is it an sec team no no is it do i like you i'd probably t- take the red wolves let's go the, the end of the conversation next pick <laughs> it'll probably work more times than not let's switch gears here that was an update on what's going on in omaha tide ball game between tennessee and texas four to four appreciate it jacob for keeping us up to date as he's behind the board watching the ball game let's talk about the Georgia State Panthers in a sneaky Georgia State Panthers in our Auburn football schedule analysis series we get to game four on the schedule now and the last non-conference team before we get into evaluating each of these SEC schools and finer detail the Georgia State Panthers let's examine the offensive side of the ball here what do you like about the Georgia State Panthers because this team averaged last year 33 points per game fourth in the Sun Belt, 32nd nationally, and they bring back every single one of their starters on the offensive side of the ball. All 11 are coming back. Yeah, that's right. You look at them as far as their returning production is concerned, 80% overall, 85% of their returning production on offense comes back. That's 18th nationally. So a lot of guys come back from an offense that I believe was a program record 33.3 points per game. Starting with the quarterback room, if I had to give them a ranking, I I wanted to put Cornelius Brown the fourth at a B, but I can't do that just yet after looking at his, his statistics just a little bit more. Last season, 17 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, almost 2,300 yards passing. He was really, really raw as a freshman. I watched two or three Georgia State football games last season, and there was a lot of talent there that I saw. I believe he's like six foot six, just an absolute unit. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Sun Belt in years to come. I, I, I'll put him in a C because I think he's going to need time to, time to develop. I think he's going to need this season, and then in his junior season, I'd probably rate this quarterback room as a B, but I have very high, high hopes for him, but 
average. Last year, Georgia State went 6-4, and 4-4 four, four and four in the Sun Belt, and the best teams that they played on their schedule were the teams that they lost to. But outside of a 51-0 thumping at the hands of Coastal Carolina, which was a top-15 team in the country last year, they hung with everybody else and only lost by one possession or less. You look at Louisiana. They played the Raging Cajuns in week one. Lost in overtime, 34-31. to Really good game. Lost to Arkansas State, 59-52 to on the road. That was lost. a barn burner, by the way. I watched that, that game. Is that the one that you watched? It was, I actually watched the Louisiana game. I watched the Arkansas State game. Those were both really, really fun games. This man watches Sunbelt football. I appreciate it. I got a lot of time on my hands, man. Got too much. much. They lost to Appalachian State 17-13. to So you look at the top of the Sun Belt, they lost to all of those teams, but three of those four games could have flipped the other way and they could have won. We could have been talking about Georgia State being a 9-1, and 8-2 football team coming into this year rather than a middle-of-the-pack 6-4 and four team. So this team is sneaky for me. They've got some offensive talent, and coming off of that Penn State game, regardless of win or loss, I'm not calling this a trap game, do not get me wrong, and I'm not going to take this to this to that level because Auburn should win this game comfortably. But I do believe that Auburn's defense could be tested in some ways. I think they will. I think they will for a short time uh, during this game. If I were to go an extremely negative route, you could say that Auburn offensively has their struggles in their first two games, loses to Penn State, and then comes into this Georgia State game kind of kind of reeling, and then you could see Georgia State take advantage. We've seen them do that against SEC teams in the past. I'm looking at you, Tennessee. But uh, I think this Auburn should win this game, but offensively this team has potential to be really something special this year in my mind after seeing them last year and all these guys coming back defense is where where I have my concerns we will get to that later in the show but I told you briefly earlier I'm like well if a 12 team playoff were to start this season Georgia State has the opportunities to to get into it I'm not saying that they would it's very similar to Cincinnati this year they've scheduled the games where they that they need to schedule where at the end of the day if they're undefeated that I could see them getting into a 14 playoff with Georgia State it's like what Coastal would have been in last right, year right they get to play North Carolina Auburn and then they get App State Georgia or Louisiana Lafayette Coastal Carolina all those teams could potentially be ranked in the top 25 whenever they play them and if they went out and they win the Sun Belt Conference title they could get in a 12 team playoff We have some other great info on Georgia State coming up later in the program. We'll talk about that coming up after our conversation with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. We'll be right back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. 2.33 p.m. here on On the Line. And we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on with us for our Tuesday edition of the show as we do every week. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are y'all? We're doing really well. And we were shocked as we were going into the show as the news today on the Auburn basketball front or the Auburn basketball onto the NBA front, some of those measurables that came out today. And let's start with Sharif Cooper because he might have grown. What is your takeaway from all this? Yeah, I, I can't believe he would have grown that much since the last time we saw him on the floor. I mean, there are pictures of him standing next to Bruce Pearl. And I mean, I stood next to him once. I was like, man, if he's 6'4, I'd shoot, or 6'3, or whatever it is, I'm, 
I'm uh, I'm gonna start saying that I'm about six six or six seven, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, so I, I would love to get some clarification on that. If this is you know if he's shot up that quickly in the last few months, I'm stunned. But um, getting like the JT Thor wingspan was crazy to me because now he officially has a longer wingspan than Giannis does, uh, which is wild to think about. I think it's the third best in this in this combine. Um, you know this this group of guys at the combine right now, so. Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty wild. Um, I, I think uh, I think I'd love to get some more clarification on the Sharif one as well because man, if he he's if he's gained that much since you know the last time we saw him play basketball at Auburn, I I think he needs to share a secret with everybody else. How much does this move the needle for you for Sharif Cooper? Does it move him higher in the draft? Do you see him as more of a lottery pick now? I know some places were were projecting him mid to late first round. And how does this change JT Thor in your mind? Does it move him up at all? I mean, I think if Sharif's taller than he was he was listed at Auburn, I mean, I think that could that could only help him because you know, that was one of the big knocks on him. Um, as a draft prospect, he's just, he's just on the smaller end. Um, so if you're a point guard who does not shoot uh, at a at a super efficient rate, um, and you're not a bigger guy, uh, that could that, that that hurts you. So I think if he is you know taller, however much that may be, than what he was listed at at Auburn, I think that help, that will help him. And for Thor, I think I mean this is the beginning for Thor where he gets in front of NBA uh, NBA scouts and just shows them you know that he's he's a he's a freaking nature man like he is. He's got that length. He's got that athleticism. There are only a few dudes on planet Earth who are as big and as long as he is that can do some of the things he can on the court because of because uh, of his face-up game and his, and his athleticism. I think he's going to test extremely well. Um, and, you know, the pitch for J.D. Thor is pretty easy, I think, if you want to make him like a late lottery. I mean, not a late lottery, late first-rounder. Um, I think the pitch is pretty, pretty straightforward for him uh, is that – this is a dude who should have been in high school last year and played really well in SEC play, um, had some really big games. And uh, if you draft him, you're drafting him on really nothing but potential. He's all upside, and an NBA team is going to get to control really the the, the key years of his development. Um, they get all of it. And so I think if he tests well you know, on the floor as, as he does with these measurements and stuff at the combine, I think I think he'll continue to have his stock rise. and. Look, if I'm if I'm late first round or even early second, and I'm I'm willing to roll a dice on somebody that I don't need to be, you know, a key contributor right away for me, uh, I would definitely look at a guy like JT Thor. Pulling back into college basketball and trying to relate something to Auburn here, Creighton received punishment from the NCAA, but it's really just kind of a slap on the wrist, maybe is is what we should say because it's two years probation, and then they're accepting the self imposed penalties that Creighton had. What does this mean for Auburn in the scope of NCAA's investigation into the scandal of college basketball? Yeah, I mean, if everything that we know is all that there is with Auburn basketball, um, you know, the the Creighton news is kind of like the same what we heard at South Carolina uh, earlier in the year. Uh, that's good news that the NCAA is willing to take on your self-imposed sanctions and recognize them as, as what they are. Um, it'll it'll help. I mean, nobody has gotten the hammer just dropped on them in this FBI investigation yet. And I think as long as LSU and and, and Arizona are as you know kind of you know in the clear as much as they can be at the moment, I think that's good news for Auburn because um, you know 
it happened several years ago. Uh, at this point, nobody involved is there anymore. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of just how much Bruce Pearl knew and what was going on. And um, there's a lot less linking him to what was going on at Auburn, which, I mean, you gotta you got to be very straightforward with what the FBI investigation was and, and what the sting was at Auburn is that you had an, had an assistant coach uh, profiting for himself by steering players uh, towards agents, towards financial managers um, before they were drafted. And, and, and so that it's not about illegal recruiting. It's not about paying kids directly from the school or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, I think that continues to be good news that the NCAA is willing to take on these self-imposed sanctions and, you know, kind of giving these, these teams a little bit of slap or a slap on the wrist. I think if it continues to be that way, um, that's good news for Auburn because they can survive that. They could definitely survive a slap on the wrist, um, you know, with the, with the way things have gone in the past with them and the NCAA. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, let's stick with the NCAA here. We had a Supreme Court ruling recently. What is your takeaway from that? Yeah, it's so funny that like literally the only thing both sides of the spectrum in this country can agree on is that the NCAA sucks. Um, it, it, it's it's wild that you had a unanimous decision. It is so rare that you get a unanimous decision on the Supreme Court on anything, and that it was very straightforward in the fact that it's like here's why <laughs> here's why this is an issue. Here's why um, you know the the NCAA's problems are what they are and one of the interesting things about it is not only was it a blowout loss for the NCAA uh it was also one of the things where it sets a precedent in the, in the case and you know some of the some of the uh, opinions written by the justices in this it said hey you know if this thing could have just stayed in the lower courts it might have been fine but now if there's anything that comes across from us involving the NCAA we are already seeing this as the way you've done your your business in protecting amateurism and, and shielding players from uh, making money, whether it's just education expenses, which is what this case was uh, in front of the NCAA, or maybe even something that grows even larger, whether it's NIL or even actual salaries down the line. You've got a precedent here in this case, and you've got uh, Supreme Court justices saying, like, hey, the NCAA is not above the law, and what the, how they have operated and how they have conjured amateurism to be the way that it is now um that's not gonna fly um so i think uh this is kind of just people who want to see some changes happening in college sports people who want to uh to you know really really shake up the system uh those guys and their lawyers can be sharpening their knives right now because uh you know when you get flattened like this in the supreme court um that's just a sign that more could be coming I'm sure you've seen some of the tweets of former Auburn fo- or current Auburn football players, not former, but current Auburn football players like Jacoby McClain. That was one of the ones that I saw saying their DMs are open for businesses and whatnot. Mm-hmm. How does all this relate? And can you kind of make sense of that for folks out there that maybe don't know what's going on right now? Right. So on July the 1st uh, in the state of Alabama, it will now be legal uh, for college athletes to profit off their name image and likeness which means that they can take deals um endorsement deals so to speak make deals uh where they can do advertisements where they can do things like sell their autographs they could you know sell um you know memorabilia uh with their name on it you know stuff like that and they can be they can be compensated for it uh that basically receiving money from the outside uh, is not going to jeopardize their eligibility anymore. And that is a law 
uh, that is going to be in place by the state of Alabama. Not every state is on board with it. Uh, there is not going to be it doesn't look like there's going to be a federal law in place when all these start to come into place on July 1st. But most of them are in kind of SEC territory. Um, and basically, what it's saying is like, look, guys, you can um, make money if there is a if there is a company out there that wants to take advantage of your platform and say, hey, we want to get our name out there, putting your face, your name, your uh, Twitter account, your Instagram account, whatever it is, uh, to it. We think that would be a good t- a good use of our money, and so they can do that and still stay eligible. Now, what it's not saying is is that you can't be making deals with the school. The school can't be, you know, the school can be involved with it as much as that, you know, they can overview and oversee what's going on, making sure everything's on the up and up, and they're not uh, they're not running into deals that will damage themselves or the university. Um, but it's just like, hey, uh, what those guys are posting uh, and girls are posting across. Uh, Auburn Athletics right now is just saying, look, if you want me to do a sponsored post on Twitter or on Instagram, or if you want me to, you know, sell stuff for you or something like that, we, we can 100% happen. So on July 1st, that's going to be what it looks like. It's going to be messy. It's going to be wild. Uh, but ultimately, places like Auburn are going to be able to have a little bit of an advantage over some other schools um, in college football and college basketball and really all of college sports in the fact that, uh, their athletes will be able to make some money on the side. Do you know if there are other states in Auburn's pipeline currently where Auburn is recruiting some of these kids? Like you said, it could be an advantage on the recruiting trail for Auburn immediately right now. I mean, I, I imagine there would be a, a federal law eventually about this to try and even mm-hmm. the playing field a bit. But right now, is there an advantage maybe over some of these other pipeline states that Auburn recruits out of? Yeah, maybe not regionally. Uh, if I remember correctly, Florida's got a law in, uh, Georgia's got a law in, Tennessee's going to have one in, Mississippi's got one in. So the bordering states are all there. Um, I do not know about Louisiana and Texas at this point. I think it's, I think they are among those that are very close. Um, and then randomly, New Mexico is one of the states that's, that's already passed something in, in place. But yeah, there's going to be some pockets where uh, I think if you're recruiting out on the West Coast, uh, or kind of in the Northeast and the Midwest, there's some states that aren't on board with it yet. Um, so, yeah, I think eventually there's going to be some federal or even conference-wide kind of just, hey, boom, it's okay um, that you can go ahead and do this. Um, but until that is there, you can get a little bit of an edge right now and just saying, hey, um, you know, we are already taking advantage of this. And secondly, I think this will be a good opportunity early on that even if, you know, by the time we have not a national signing day, uh, you know, I, I think this is going to be pretty uniform across the country. But I think one advantage you could get right now is saying, hey, we were on top of this before everybody else, uh, and we were already, you know, prepping our, prepping our athletes to be ready for this, and that you can kind of try to be, you know, even if, even if it's not a unique thing anymore, you can just say, hey, we're one of the leaders. We're, we're out in front. We, we know how to handle this because we've had more experience with it than maybe some of these other schools. Justin, amazing information as always. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Check it out. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. Comes up about three or four times a week. Uh, this week had a uh, film room on Brian Harson's third down offense and what kind of what makes it tick and what that means for Auburn. Uh, did some basketball recruiting stuff today. Uh, got a podcast coming out tomorrow morning. A lot of that. Uh, you can check it out. AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there for six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jferguson Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. Y'all too. Thank you.
That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll wrap up hour number one on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's pause a second, take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's the fourth edition of the auditions on America's Got Talent at 7 on NBC. I don't think that Lego hats are very practical. Nonetheless, teams will attempt to craft them on a new episode of Lego Masters at 7 on Fox. Some movie selections for tonight, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover star in Lethal Weapon 3 on AMC at 7. Over on Freeform at 6, you can catch the live action version of Beauty and the Beast. One of the greatest basketball movies of all time. Hoosiers is on FS1 at 6. In live sports, it's game two of the Western Conference Finals between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are up 1-0 with tonight's game on ESPN at 8. In college baseball, Mississippi State and Virginia advance to the winner's bracket of the College World Series. They play tonight at 6 on ESPN2. NHL playoffs, the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights meet for game five with the series tied at 2. Catch the game at 8 on NBCSN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board for us. Jacob, give us an update on what's going on in Omaha. Well, Tennessee is just taking, or Texas is just taking a 6 to 4 lead on a bang bang play. It was a gap RBI double with a runner scoring from first. It was a close play, but they reviewed it and he was safe. It's the battle of the UTs. Which one is better? Which one's the real one? Who's the real orange team here? <laughs> Texas is back. And baseball, yes. You say Which that, Mel. You lose, have to say they never really win anywhere, but they'll well, lose by three one runs. That's all that you said that. Tennessee. Watch. Well, it's Tennessee. Do you think Tennessee's going to be able to? They have to for my flow chart to work. There's no other way. I do not understand how Tennessee, on a repeated basis, can make it to the big stage doesn't matter the sport doesn't matter how good their team was in that sport they make it to the big stage and then just lose all of their bearings and get smashed which is what happened in the first round six to zero now putting them in a situation where the two teams and texas too texas is also in this category this is the battle of the two teams named ut that are consistently getting onto the national stage and losing and honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, my flowchart, the fact that I don't dislike Tennessee so much almost offsets the fact that they're an SEC team, even though that's question number one. Okay, I think we need to touch on that now that you've said this, because I find this fascinating, that so many Auburn fans actually have such a severe dislike for Tennessee. Have you not heard of the, and this isn't true in all cases, but this is how I view this, and I like Tennessee, this is how I view this. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, at least in this case with Tennessee. They are the only other team in the country that plays Alabama and Georgia every year. They also play a team that Auburn fans don't like as well, which is Florida every year. You should want Tennessee to be good. No. No, I shouldn't. They beat us 29-30 to in that SEC championship game. They beat us in 2018 when we should have won that game. <laughs> they uh, are a pest in basketball. I don't like their, SEC championship. I don't like their players. I don't like their coaches. Uh, the fact that Justin Powell transferred there makes me want to cry. Uh, I was going to say, basketball is a bigger reason. Yeah. yeah. Even though Auburn owns them, Bruce Pearl owns them, it's still just 
Yeah. Still. You gotta love them. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I understand that they're... Don't you want Alabama to have a tough game every year against them? Like another tough game every year. Tennessee being better in the league makes Alabama and Georgia's lives tougher. Yeah, but it doesn't mean I have to, to, to like them, right? Like, I, I still dislike them. Fair. It's like, you know how there are some games, and I think I've said this on the show before, where you look at it and it's just like, I hope both teams somehow find a way to lose. It's like a Notre Dame-Ohio State matchup, that, but I think that was a, that was a uh, New Year's Six Bowl from a few years ago. It's like, I wish I could just find a way for both of those teams to come out of this game with a loss. That's how I feel whenever I view teams like Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, uh, LSU. It's like, I, I don't, like... I'll root for the conference as a whole, like overall, like, well, at least at least a team that I have to play against won something, won a national title. It's like, well, at least that that makes me feel better about how my team performed. Um, But I'm not going to support the individual teams just like, yeah, I, 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 I pull for Tennessee on occasion, you know. I want to know what everybody else thinks. Call in 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. What are your thoughts on what we're talking about here? I mean, isn't it a good thing? For Tennessee to be good at football, if you're an Auburn fan, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you root for that because you'd want Georgia and Alabama's lives to be tougher? That's that's my stance on it. I want them to be good. Yeah. I also think it makes the SEC more fun. I don't think but. that like like I I would like for Alabama and Georgia to have a hard time, but I'm not going to sit here and poll for Tennessee outside of that, and even not necessarily within those games. It's like it's a, it's a it's a rival. Um, it's another team that I dislike, and just because I dislike somebody more than them does not mean I dislike uh, my dislike for them goes away. That's where it's just kind of where I sit on it. Jacob, do you have any thoughts on this? It's more about I don't you just like, like pulling. The joke. I don't like it's yeah, it's a good <laughs> joke, but I don't really like pulling for other teams in the SEC. It's just that's fine. I don't really do that either. I'm just saying Tennessee. There's actually some type of advantage. For them to be good. It I mean, I can agree with that. Them. I can agree with that. And I'd much rather right now be playing Tennessee in an SEC championship than Georgia. Well, duh, because Tennessee's bad. But we don't know what they would look like if they made it to that SEC championship. They would look good. And you might not want to play them at that point. Would you rather play? Would you rather lose to Tennessee or Georgia in an SEC championship? Oh, well, okay. You're saying like that, Tennessee, yes. Now, of course, you'd rather beat Georgia in an SEC championship, of course, but I'm just saying, like, I'd much rather play Tennessee in an SEC championship than Georgia any day of the week. Give me any of the other SEC schools for the SEC title game. The last SEC championship Auburn played Tennessee, and they won by 20 points in basketball. (laughs) And they won in football. They won by 20. I think they won by 10. It was like 38, 28. Yeah. It does not change the fact that anytime I change the channel and I see a Tennessee game, I look. It doesn't change the fact that I look at it with with disdain. It's just like ugh, Tennessee, ugh, Alabama, ugh, Georgia. It's like all of them sit in the same realm, and it's like if they play each other, it's like, man, I don't really care who wins this game, but it, like I hope they both lose. That's just kind of where I sit on it, but. I, I understand where you're coming from, like hating them less, but it does not put me on a positive side just because that they are, I hate them less. Well, that's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back in just a few moments. We'll see you at three o'clock. We want you to call in 334-321-1390. What are your thoughts? How do you feel about Tennessee if you're an Auburn fan? You want them to be good? 
talk to us. 334-321-1390. We'll be back at 3 o'clock with hour number two of On the Line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We want to hear from you. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. Once again, 334-321-1390. Fun hour number one at Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us. If you miss any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those great locations, be sure to go and check it out. Let's start off hour number two, continuing our Auburn football schedule analysis series. We were talking about the Georgia State Panthers in hour number one, only briefly got to touch on the offense. When you look at the Georgia State offense, you love the skill position players. They've got some good wide receivers. The running back's not half bad. They return all 11 starters. The quarterback you seem to really like. But what we didn't get to talk about, the offensive line, this is an O-line that you're extremely high up on for a Sunbelt team. Yeah, that's right. So, again, we touched on it briefly in the first hour. This offense returns every single player that started for them last season. All 11 guys are coming back. And whenever you look at this offensive line, it's a combined 136 career starts for this Georgia State offensive line. And keep in mind, it was a factor in the best scoring offense in program history. And you look at them as far as sacks go, they were 13th nationally in sacks allowed per game. They only allowed 12 on the season, so that was good for 1.2 sacks allowed per game. And there's not there's not a whole lot else to say. They averaged almost 200 yards rushing, 230 yards passing. This unit is extremely well-seasoned. They are veterans. They, they have a lot of experience under their belt, and all of them are coming back. There's no reason to think that this, this, that this unit will do anything but either stay at the level they were last year or improve. So I have the offensive line as a B because it's not a Power 5 team that's returning 136 career starts, but they're above average in my mind. I love asking tough questions. Would you take this offensive line or Auburn's offensive line? I'd have to watch a little bit more <laughs> Georgia State football. You'd have to watch them play Auburn. Yeah, I'd have to watch. I'd have to watch them play Auburn just to see how they handle themselves. But statistically, on paper, it looks like Georgia State would be the better offensive line, right? But you know that the recruits that Auburn have are, has are better. The coaches that they have on staff are better. I would take Auburn's offensive line simply because it's an SEC offensive line. It's SEC recruits. It's it, they they bring back all five of their starters if I'm not mistaken so I, I would take Auburn's offensive line but it, it would be it would be close and I would have to see Georgia State perform against see if an they SEC can hold team. their own against an yeah. SEC defense see yeah. what they can do and we'll get to see that because they play Auburn in week four mm-hmm. 
you'd also get to see it on their schedule. I mean, they play Army week one, North Carolina on the road, then they'll take on Charlotte, and then they'll play Auburn on the road. So within the first four weeks, there are multiple opportunities where they play decent college football teams. Army's been right there with it. At least on the national stage, you've seen them compete with some decent teams like Oklahoma a couple years ago. So it's not a, it's not something where this team is playing cupcakes early on. They're going to be challenged by the time that they play Auburn. And they were 6-4 and four last year, lost several games by one possession or less. And by one possession or less, I mean like a touchdown or less, I should say. Maybe there were four losses on their schedule and three of them were by one possession. This team could have been even a little bit better than what 6-4 and four may have suggested offense is the good thing about Georgia State defense is the issue it really is and when you look at them statistically as a whole 31.7 points allowed per game 79th nationally just kind of go over their units here starting with defensive line if I were to grade these guys I'd have them graded as a B they were seventh nationally in sacks uh, per game they get they got 3.5 sacks per game 35 sacks on the season they returned three actually they returned four starters yeah they they, they run a three four front and they return all three starters and then they have a fourth starter behind those guys at uh, least Athlon has a fourth guy listed as a starter Akeem Smith so they've got a lot of the the production from the defensive line coming back, and they played really, really well. I mean, if you're able to get to the quarterback 35 times in the season, I don't care what conference you play in, that's pretty solid. And when you look at this defense as a whole, though, it's it's got some issues outside of that. Specifically, when you get to the second and third levels. Right, specifically the second and third levels of the defense. You look at the linebacking core. The top returning tackler for the Panthers is, is from this linebacking core, and he's coming back this season. But if there was an issue on this team – Heading into 2021 overall, I think it's the linebacking core for me. It's the number one issue. They gave up, let's see, they gave up 31.7 points per game, 136 yards rushing, 273 yards passing. That was 113th nationally. They only returned one starter uh, out of these four linebackers in this 3-4 this set. Blake Carroll, obviously, like I mentioned, he's the leading returning tackler, but not a lot of experience coming back from a unit overall that was not great defensively four starters come back at defensive back where does that weigh in for you I I still have defensive back rated as a D because they did give up 273 yards passing per game 113th nationally and but I will say this the youngest starter in this defensive backfield it was a breakout star for the Panthers last season and in Tavius Lane I believe is his name he had four interceptions six pass breakups 55 tackles he was second he was second team all sunbelt this team was tied for seventh in the country and passes intercepted. They have some things that they need to work on. But again, like you got guys coming back for another year. All they can do is either stay at the level that they're at right now or progress, right? And I would assume year if another year under their belt is only going to make them better. But I still have them rated as a D because I don't I don't see them getting so much better that it would bump them up to average in the entire country. And Tavius Lane did all that work as a freshman last year four picks as a freshman and now he's going into a sophomore year so definitely could see a bump for him I think but everywhere else in that defensive backfield I'm with you they're now seniors there's no more growth to be had by that point they may get a little bit better but how much better can this defensive backfield get to so after we've looked at all four of Auburn's non-conference opponents we've gone through it on our Auburn schedule analysis series we've looked through all four non-conference opponents I imagine that you and I would rank this the same way. You'd go in degree of difficulty, of course, Penn State's at the top. Then you would go Georgia State. Then you would go Akron. And then you go Alabama State. 
do you like where Georgia State is positioned on the schedule? Would you have preferred to have played Georgia State earlier, or do you like that it's the game in between Penn State and LSU? I really don't like the fact that it's the game between Penn State and LSU because you talk about looking ahead down the road if you're a team like Auburn. If you beat Penn State, you're looking ahead to that LSU matchup. In my mind, if I were a player, I would be as well. And this is a team that I think could sneak up on Auburn in week four of the season. It's going to be a really tough test. I know this is not a great Sun Belt team, but it's an incredibly experienced group. I trust Sean Elliott after seeing what he was able to do against another SEC team. I believe it was in 2019 beating beating Tennessee. If the wheels fall off the bus for Auburn and Bo Nix is not the answer and he he is not focused and having fun, whatever you want to call it, if he's not playing well in this new offense and Auburn struggles against Akron and Alabama State and they lose to Penn State, you come into this game reeling and you have issues. You're and, fighting for your life like right. you did against ULM in Georgia State sitting there licking their chops saying, all right, we got him. We got him right where we want him. We've got enough talent and we've got we've got everything going our way and and Auburn's hurting right now I could see Auburn losing this game legitimately I could see Auburn taking an L to this team if Bo Nix has not figured things out and Auburn loses to Penn State at the same time flip side of that if everything's going great this is still a game you have to look out for because this team again I think it's a lot more talented than people give them credit for and I think this quarterback is going to be able to do a lot of really good things for them moving forward. I said it off air earlier. I think you give him four years, and he's going to be heading into the NFL draft as a Josh Allen type of player. Incredibly raw, but has the size, has the mobility, has the arm strength. I think this team is going to be special in years to come. And I think it's a team right now that Auburn has to look out for really quickly. The last group that we didn't touch on, actually we didn't touch on two, but this group, special teams, I graded them a C. There were 13 of 16 on their field goals. And so you would look at that and say, oh, well, then they should be pretty all right. Well, actually, they were 96 nationally in yards per punt return, and they were 115th nationally in yards per kick return. So outside of their field goal unit, they were not doing fantastic on special teams. And I'd have to go look at, at their coverage defensively, but I would care more about what I'm doing whenever I get the ball when it, after I'm receiving a punt or I'm getting, I'm getting a kickoff return. I think that's, that's more important whenever, in terms of val- evaluating the grade on this special team unit. And then quickly, I want to touch on receivers, something that I didn't touch on. I graded them as a C. Overall, I think it's really solid production. I think their top returning receiver had like over 800 yards. Their second leading receiver had about 430 yards. I believe I might be wrong on that. I have to go check. It was 447. But that that's good production. And again, this offense is bringing back everybody, but it's Sunbelt production. How good is that compared to the rest of college football? So I think it's average right now in my mind but who knows at the end of the season we may be saying hey that that offense can really really score some points put the put the receivers at a b who knows going back to where i was asking the question about georgia state's position on auburn's schedule and whether or not we like it in between the penn state and lsu game of course you can't change that Mm -hmm. but i can like georgia state's location on the schedule and also simultaneously dislike the teams that auburn is playing prior to Penn State Auburn needs tougher competition before they play Penn State because Akron and Alabama State is really just practice and Auburn would probably get better if they played a full speed game against their own defense right than what they're going to play against Akron and Alabama State so I don't like that they need at least one game that will at least prepare them a little bit or 
challenge them a little bit before they play Penn State. So I don't like that. But I actually really do like Georgia State's positioning on the schedule between them and LSU. And my reasoning for that is you are going to take things away from that Penn State game. And you are going to legitimately Mm -hmm. get to apply that to a team that can challenge you in some respects. And so you can take what you learned from that Penn State game learn a little bit in the Georgia State game and turn back around and go on the road to LSU and see and then apply that what you've tried to improve on in that short week without really playing someone of SEC caliber so I do like where Georgia State is placed at on the schedule but I would like to have seen Auburn play a tougher team than Akron or Alabama State prior to playing Penn State so, so the, it's kind of give and take at the end of the day would you rather have them if you had to choose would you rather have them where they're at now or would you like to have them week one or two I'd rather have them where they're at right now I don't know how much on the flip side of that too I don't know how much putting Georgia State before Penn State actually gets you ready for the environment in Happy Valley right Penn State does that for you against LSU the Georgia State game, I like the fact and what it can do to actually teach you something. How much can you learn from the Georgia State game to actually prepare you for the Penn State game? It's all about the Penn State game for me. Penn State is going to teach you things. You then can go in and apply those things against a decent opponent in Georgia State to get you ready for LSU. Right. But how much can you actually learn if you're playing Georgia State prior to Penn State? Not as much. Georgia State is just an advanced sparring partner for me. It's an advanced someone to step in the ring with that's that that you can at least dance around with and learn some things and improve a little bit before you go into that LSU game. I don't I don't even know if Georgia State prepares you for Happy Valley and Georgia State isn't really as much about preparing you for LSU. It's more about improving on the stuff that you didn't do well the week before. Right. The Penn State game is what prepares you for the LSU game. That's how I view it, and so I like them where they're at. I think I'm I'm there with you. Because I don't know how much it changes if they are week one or week two. Um, because again, like how much are any of these teams going to prepare you for a power five matchup, right? And so I'm with you as far as like I'd like to see Auburn have tougher competition before they go play on the road in Happy Valley. Um, but it's not significant enough of a change to where I would I would sit there and say, okay, let's shuffle the schedule around then because it will work out in our favor if we do have these tougher non-conference opponents first because Auburn's non-conference opponents outside of Penn State are not, are not going to be on the level of Penn State. The other thing I want to point out, this coaching staff has coached for a significant portion of their time in places that are not the SEC. Your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator knows what the SEC looks like. Your running backs coach knows what the SEC looks like. Zach Etheridge played in the SEC, so I think you can say that the defensive backs coach knows what the SEC looks like. Will Friend knows what the SEC looks like. So half of your staff knows what the SEC looks like. The other half does not. Your head coach does not. Your other coaches out there that are position coaches like Brad Bedell and your linebackers coach and Nick Eason, all those guys did not play in the SEC and they have not experienced the SEC. They have not coached in the SEC. They do not know what that is like. So there's a learning curve here Mm -hmm. for this coaching staff. And they're going to play Penn State in week three and they're going to learn what Power Five college football looks like. Right. 
how quick they learn will determine Auburn's success this season. I think also another way to look at it is if a guy like Brian Harston is coming from the Mountain West, he should kill teams that are from the MAC, from the Sun Belt, because he understands those teams. He's played against those type of teams and their caliber. He has a lot of experience doing that, and he was incredibly successful. So he should know how to take out a mid-major, a group of five school. He should know how to execute, especially with the talent on Auburn's roster. They should win these non-conference games. And not only that, to to uh, to your point, talking about the, some of these position coaches, if anything, it should be a learning experience to play a team like Georgia State that is a pretty good group of five school to say, okay, here's how we can we can change the way that we do things heading into an LSU game. Here's how we can improve on that. And now we have SEC talent to where we can get some of these guys to do things that some of these Mountain West players weren't able to do. I think overall it works out well, but again... It is. It is not. A, it's not a trap game, but it's something that Auburn has to be aware of in between Penn State and LSU. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we will talk about what teams are the most underrated in the SEC for 2021. All that and more coming up on On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board. Jacob. What's going on in Omaha between Texas and Tennessee? Top six, Texas leads 7-4, to four, Tennessee at the plate with one out. What inning again? Top of the six. Man, hmm. who would have thought that Tennessee maybe doesn't even win a game in Omaha? Dang. Well, when you have to face Texas in an elimination game, especially with the lack well, of pitching. Virginia in game one, so you don't have to do yeah, that. The lack of pitching with Tennessee is what's going to kill them. Far tougher side of the bracket, though, because – even if you beat Virginia, you have to play Mississippi State. So take your pick between Mississippi State or Texas. Of course, you'd rather be doing that in the winner's bracket. If you lose, you're probably playing Texas over Virginia at that point. Then you're in an elimination game with Texas anyway, right? So the path the path was there, but Tennessee had to win in their first game, and they did not. And it put them in a very, very difficult situation. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Tease this going into this segment. Which teams in the SEC are the most underrated in the SEC for 2021, Lance? Three teams each for us. Three teams. So I'm going to start with number three, and we're going to work our way up. Oh, I didn't rank them. I still am out there. At number three, I have Tennessee. Even we actually have the same list, e- so we'll just talk about the teams. Even though I hate them, I think that they can they can win at their at best eight or nine games. Athlon projects them to to go six and six. I think they can win more than that. Whenever you look at their schedule, and I have a lot of I have a lot of confidence in Hendon Hooker. Um, Josh Heupel uh, has a really good track record as far as offense is concerned. If somebody's going to fix the offense, Josh Heupel can do it. Yes. So you look at their schedule. Bowling Green, Pittsburgh, Tennessee Tech, those are all wins. That's three wins to get to six. At Florida is probably going to be a loss. At Missouri, I think, is winnable. South Carolina at home is a win, so that's four. Ole Miss at home is a question mark. It's winnable, but I don't know if they will. Alabama's a loss. At Kentucky, I think, is, is, is a win. Georgia's a loss. South Alabama's a win. Vanderbilt's a win. So you're looking at right there seven or eight wins, and then they could just maybe squeak out a win against Ole Miss, and then you're looking up and like, oh, Tennessee went 9-3. and three. Uh, I, I, I think that the schedule works out 
that way, and I think Tennessee's been able to recruit well enough to where they should have the talent to beat some of these middle-tier, bottom-tier SEC East teams. I think I think there's a lot of things going their way, even though this is not a program that usually has everything go their way. The big question marks around Tennessee, they revolve at crucial positions, which is what scares me a bit, but I am with you. I do have them as a team that is underrated in the SEC. The big question mark for them, though, quarterback they got to replace pretty much their entire offensive line because everyone transferred out they were returning no starting wide receivers from last year they only returned two starters on offense so pretty much everything has to gel quickly for Tennessee and the question is how quickly does it gel and does do they take a loss to somebody that could severely damage team morale before they gel together right do they take losses early on that severely damages morale at Tennessee under first year head coach Josh Heupel does that happen to them like is that a Pittsburgh loss in week two does that damage morale to a point where and then they lose to Florida and they're sitting at two and two and they're going to Missouri and maybe that creates the seeds of doubt early enough to where maybe it never does gel that's the question you have to ask yourself about Tennessee I'm with you I see the potential for more than six wins because talent wise and the way that they recruit you expect them to be better than Missouri and Kentucky and even Ole Miss to a degree because they've recruited on the same plane as, as Ole Miss, if not better. So when you map that out, yes, I see the the potential for that. The big questions do re- revolve around the fact that they had 25 players transfer out of the program since October. What does team morale look like right now with their new head coach? Have they bought in? And how quickly do things gel? And do those things gel before they take a morale-damaging loss and you could see a morale-damaging loss in Knoxville as soon as Pittsburgh, especially if they were to lose at home to a team that I do believe they are more talented than than the Pittsburgh Panthers. But Pittsburgh is never an easy out for anybody. There's a team on this list that I think is a little bit more likely to, to have, have a, breakout a breakout season. And I think that's Kentucky. 24-7 sports. Just Cole a few Kubelik days ago, agree with you. right? Twenty four seven Sports just a few days ago put out win totals, projected win totals for uh, some of these SEC teams, and they had Kentucky going nine and three. And I knee knee jerk reaction said, "Whatever they have, they have, I want. Like, oh, I want, <laughs> I want what they're smoking." But then I started to look, and I'm like, "Well, it's not as difficult as it may seem." And it starts with that schedule. You get ULM. You get Missouri at home, and we've talked about that matchup. And Kentucky can figure out their quarterback situation and win that game. I don't know if they're going to, but that's a winnable game. Chattanooga at South Carolina. You're thinking on the positive side of things, 4-0 heading into that Florida matchup if you figure out your quarterback situation because this, the, the skill positions outside of that on offense are going to work. Josh Ali, Wandale Robinson, Chris Rodriguez, those are SEC caliber players that are going to score enough points to keep Kentucky in games. I have no, I have no issues on this defense. I don't care that they bring back four starters. I don't care that, that the defense was giving up 25, uh, essentially 26 points per game last season. They're they're turning it they're bringing in talent and they're making them NFL players they're bringing in these three stars and they're making them first round picks that's enough for me to believe that this defense is going to be okay enough to to hold its own they have a good offensive line they have a really really good offensive line they get Florida at home. If Florida doesn't have their quarterback situation figured out, we could see Kentucky that take that one. We've seen Florida struggle with the Wildcats in the past few seasons. You get LSU at home. You and I both think they're going winless this season. That's a joke. You go and play at Georgia. That's going to be a tough game. 
and that's probably a, a loss. If we're looking at the first loss of the season, if we're in this hypothetical situation where Kentucky works things out, that's the first loss of the season. You play at Mississippi State. I think that's a winnable game for Kentucky. Tennessee at home, that's winnable. Vanderbilt, New Mexico State, and Louisville. We could see this team win, at, at the best, 10 games, but 7-5 and five projected by Athlon Sports, I think they... I think they're underrated at that projection. I think they have a lot more potential than that. So that's why I have them higher than Tennessee. The question is, do they reach that potential, right? I think it's fair to say that at its base, this is a 6-7 win team. But if things go disastrous too, I mean, I could see it being worse than that, especially Mm -hmm. if there's massive turnover at the quarterback position. Will Levis appears to be a leader in that quarterback room. He didn't do half bad at Penn State. Definitely will help this team push the ball downfield a little bit more than what they did in recent years. I mean, the leading receiver for Kentucky last year had 54 catches. The next best receiver had 16. The leading receiver with 54 catches was Josh Ali. Like you said, he had 473 yards. That was 8.8 yards per reception. That is terrible for a receiver to have less than 10. And he was at 8.8 and only one touchdown. So they were having a hard time pushing the ball downfield. There's no secret about that. All Kentucky could do was run the football. They had to throw the ball. They were not going to win a football game last year. So the big question does come back to, does the quarterback position actually work out? Does Will Levis get them over the hump? Because that's what you're asking here. For Kentucky to get to 10 wins, we've seen good Kentucky teams. And there was that Kentucky team that beat Penn State and that Citrus Bowl several years ago. They reached that mark. They won 10 games. That team did that. They got over the hump. But now you're asking this Kentucky team to do something else like that team did. And I don't know if they're as good as that Kentucky team was right so I'm not sure if they'll get there but I definitely do see the points that everybody makes about the squad I have them down on my list too I understand the points everybody's making they got a good offensive line they have a first round left tackle and Darian Kennard the senior they've got a good offensive line they consistently have a good good offensive line at Kentucky they've got a great running back someone that I'm really high up on Chris Rodriguez Jr he averaged more yards per carry than Tate Bigsby last year at 6.6 he had 11 touchdowns this guy's really good. He's a top-level SEC running back, and he's a top-level running back in college football, one of the more underrated guys there. I still go all the way back to quarterback. Do they have it? Can they throw the ball? I, I think it will be better than what they've had because they haven't been able to throw the ball at all, mm-hmm. but I still think it's average at best if they are able to throw the football. My question with Kentucky is, like, if your offensive line is so good, why can't you throw the ball? Is it they just haven't had the arms. Right. You've, they've not had the arms, and I don't think they've necessarily had the receivers. I don't no. know who their coaches are, but they've they've not got a good scheme for them. It's very similar to what we were looking at at Auburn. It's like they don't have a really good scheme for these receivers when they want to call pass plays. And I would hope that a guy like Will Levis does have a legitimate arm and can get this team over the hump. I'm not saying scoring 40 a game, but I'm saying like, hey, this Kentucky team can actually throw the ball a little bit. I think that there's a really good chance for that to happen this season. We'll keep this conversation going on the other side of this break, and we will give our last team, the team that we believe to be the most underrated in the SEC for 2021. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left of the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, 
The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. In our previous segment, we were talking about the most underrated teams of the SEC for 2021. We've given Tennessee, we've given Kentucky, now the most underrated team in the SEC for 2021. You and I are in agreement. Lance, pull back the curtain. You're right. We agree. It is the Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, no, it I is considered the, them for my list. We, I, I did consider them legitimately, but the number one team that I have on my list is Auburn. Athlon has them projected to go 7-5, and 3-5 and five in the SEC. I will say this. That's not happening. Three and five in the SEC is not happening. That is not happening. It will be better. That is that is that is where whenever I saw this and I was thinking of underrated SEC teams, I that, that was the first thing. I'm like, there is nothing past that period. Auburn is not going three and five in the SEC this season. Not happening. And then there are other things that you can add to build off or build build on that, but that is where it should start and end. Gus Malzahn would would have gotten this team to five and three, four and four. Brian Harson will do the same or better. Auburn will not only win three games in the SEC. Let's take a look at their schedule. They get to play LSU on the road to open things up. If we're thinking that everything's going to pan out the way that you and I think it does, that's a favorable matchup Real for quick, Auburn. Real quick, 3-1 in non-con or 4-0? 4 4-0. I've got them 4-0 right now. Right now, in my mind, I've got them 4-0. I've been waffling back and forth on this in, uh, during the summer, and right now, in my mind, Auburn wins that game. So just to be different, I'll say three and one. How could you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, think they have things figured out enough by the time that Penn State game rolls around. So, so one, what, I, I'm going to call that LSU game a win. All right, Georgia is a loss. There's no question about that. Arkansas is a win. Ole Miss should be a win. Texas A&M should be a win, especially if they don't have their quarterback situation figured out. Mississippi State's a win. South Carolina is a win. Alabama's a win. You're looking at you're looking in my scenario going on, seven and one in conference play, right? <laughs> hold on a second. What? <laughs> seven and one. At best. That's 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 at best. And so you say that's ridiculous, but that is four games over what Athlon has Auburn projected. You're telling me Oh, you're me, saying at best. You're saying yes, best case scenario. Best case scenario. You're telling <laughs> me attack. that Auburn is is four games worse than their than what they could be at their best. I don't see that happening. I see them winning two of those games and going five and three. Three and five ain't happening. Yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, y'all, y'all panic for a second. I did. I and thought it, you were saying they were going seven to one in SEC. But I was like, <laughs> hypothetical hypothetical situation. Best case scenario, seven and one. I'm with you. Six I and agree two. With that. I agree with that. I mean, people didn't expect it to happen in 2013. It happened. People didn't expect it to happen in 2017. It happened. For all those callers out there, yes, I did say Auburn would beat Alabama and go seven and one. I want to. I want to restate that. Yes, I did say that in best case <laughs> you scenario. Said, you said best case. Best case scenario, Auburn beats Alabama at home of at course. the end of the season. Of course. And they lose to Georgia. How about that? Wow. Anyway, it again. This team is too talented. You talk about the blue chip ratio. They recruit too well. They have they have good they have good coaches on staff. They have players returning at key positions. They are too talented to not win four or five games in the SEC. That's where I'm at. That's heavily that's underrated. Been where I've been at this whole time is saying I, I I don't know if I see five. It's almost like it's been a foregone conclusion, and most people are are 
there's been a lot of predictions out there for Auburn to go six and six or seven and five, but I'm like, what? How did they all of a sudden become worse than South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Arkansas, and all these teams? Because most people are predicting them to lose one of those games or two of those games, and I'm like, and then all of a sudden it's a foregone conclusion that Ole Miss is going to beat Auburn on pretty much everybody's predictions, and Jacob Hillman's over there shaking his head, but they just returned so much, and la- and I don't think that they've regressed beyond where they were at last year. They should not have lost to South Carolina. They will not lose to South Carolina this year. But I've, I, I go back to last year to talk a lot about where this team is at. And Malzahn had them as an 8-4 and four team last year if they had the non-conference schedule. This year's team, I think that is where the barometer should be at, is 8-4 and four with an upside of possibly winning more because I don't believe Auburn regressed any. You fired the coach to get better. Auburn didn't fire the coach because he went three and nine or because he went five and seven they fired the coach because they want to get better so all these people out there that said that they wanted to can Gus Malzahn and wanted to move on now are predicting Auburn to go six and six seven and five and I'm like this is what you wanted you wanted there to be a coaching change you you thought that Auburn would get better with a coaching change but then your predictions now say otherwise it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing how people are viewing Brian Hartson right now. I think it's obnoxiously ignorant to say that Auburn will not beat Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. That's four wins right there. Five. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say obnoxiously ignorant because I could see them losing to Ole Miss. And, and, and I know I just said that I don't think that they will, but Ole Miss is still a decent football team, and they almost beat Auburn last year. Auburn that, was, that was the team that was closest of that group on the South Carolina pool in the upset. Auburn beat them at home, or uh, they beat them beat on them the at home. their place. They beat them at their place. They have a five-game winning streak against Ole Miss. It's not happening. Year one, Brian Harson returning your quarterback. Only five teams in the SEC do. You're not losing to Ole Miss at home unless they're a top-five team. They beat Alabama, and they're scoring 60 a game. It's not happening. I'm with you. I, I, I think that they... I think they beat Ole Miss. I'm just saying. I'm not going to say. Everybody folks say it are with me. Obnoxiously ignorant. Everybody say it with me. National championship. National champion. <laughs> I'm joking, man. I'm joking. For real though, like it's like to dial everything back. This team, on paper, is talent more talented than what some of these folks are projecting. I'm yeah. not saying they're going to be world beaters, but they're not going to go. They're not going to be in the bottom half of the SEC. History says that. Right now says that. Where it's coming from, I understand, but I think there's a lot more positive than there is negative. There's a lot. Auburn has a much better chance to hit their ceiling than to hit their floor. Yes. Is what I'm saying. And going back to where this conversation all began, we were talking about most underrated teams. And of these of these three teams that we've selected, or pretty much every team in the SEC, you take what people are projecting on average for Auburn, which is six or seven wins. And then you compare that to other teams like Kentucky and Tennessee and some of these other squads that people want to say have the potential to be a breakout team in 2021. I would say that Auburn has a greater chance to be that breakout team based on history, based on roster makeup for this year, based on talent of how that they recruit. Auburn is much more likely to break out than Kentucky or Tennessee or Vanderbilt or Mississippi State or Ole Miss. Because Auburn's done it. We've seen it. None of these other teams have done it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, and again, I have Auburn winning that Penn State game, so that puts them at 8-4, and 4-4 four, four and four in the SEC at worst in my mind. You've won me over. After me coming into this offseason saying, I'm worried about Auburn even making a bowl game, you have turned me around, and the more that I look at this situation, 
I see a lot more positivity than I do see negativity. Let's head to the phone lines now. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That is how you reach us on On The Line. We got Shane on the line with us. Shane, what's up, my man? Guys, you know, uh, I really wasn't going to call in. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little upset with you guys. But but your your guy, Lance, here won me over with the call. So I, I like your optimism with, with that. With the, with the with the winds that you project, or could could, all that's could, but still, where we 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 have a chance, and so just wanted to say that that want to be back over with your salt. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Shane. And you know, the more that I look at this schedule, and the more that I look at this team, I see a lot more chance to again to hit their ceiling than instead of hitting their floor I think this team wins eight or nine games this season the thing is I've been saying this for months and, and Noah's <laughs> Noah's won me over man like I'm I, saying this I am, since January I am I'm buying I in have, I know you have Noah yeah and um yeah you've been saying it all, all along but you know I just I just I just want people to, to like be optimistic about Auburn's chances yeah, we have a, a, a turnover of our head coach, and especially everybody, all of our coaches. But that could be a positive thing because what, what were the other coaches doing? I right. Mean, History says eight, it's a good thing. And, yeah, nine and three, eight and four. That's that's what we've been doing. So and, you know, we still have most of the players, and we just have new coaches. Basically, we got some 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 new players, and so our defense is going to be amazing, I, I believe. And so it's just like, can can our offense step up? Uh, a little bit. Can we have some cohesiveness on offensive line to give our quarterback, whoever it is, a fighting chance to stand back there and get to his target? And I think we can win, you know, uh, nine, nine games. I'm just going to say a nine. I'm a, I don't know. I, I'm just going to say nine because I don't know. We could win eight. We could win ten. I don't, I don't know. So I think we have one surprise win in there somewhere. And hopefully none of the surprise losses that we have been used to in the past five, six, seven, eight years. That's right. I agree with that completely, Shane. And you can say uh, yeah, this I, is. I, go ahead. Want to say that? Sounds I wanna good, say Shane. That, guys, and, I, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll try to temper myself from now on. And uh, <laughs> I still enjoy the show. Just some of you, sometimes uh, it rubs me the wrong way. Such as people bad talk or or kind of talk, but little or little brother just in a scenario. I, I don't. I'm not with that. 40 years old, and I've never thought uh, Auburn's little brother to anybody. Anyway, guys, I, I do enjoy the show, so so War Eagle. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good, Shane. War Eagle. Hope you have a good afternoon. That was Shane online with us, and if you want to call in, 334-321-1390. I'll say something real quick, and this is not being dramatic or over overhyping. Do you know what Alabama doesn't have that Auburn has this season? I do not and people may disagree with this, I think there are a lot of people out there that have been pushing this narrative, they have a Heisman candidate in their backfield. Tank Bigsby, I, don't, I'm not, I wouldn't project him to win the Heisman, but I think if things go well at the end of the season, he could be in the running as a top 10 guy. Alabama doesn't have that right now. Not in my mind. PFF does like Brian Robinson a lot. I don't think they he's a Heisman also, candidate. They also not really like Tank Bigsby. They do. They love Tank Bigsby. I, I think that's one of the best arguments for all this is that he is indeed a potential Heisman candidate if the offensive line figures things out. I know it's weird to say. I don't think people talk about Tank enough. 
I veer away from Tank though. My reasoning for that is I, I've been burned Injuries. too many. Yes, I've been burned by too many times. I've seen an Auburn running back get hurt and dismantle a season. Are those all under Gus though? Because I feel like Harson and Bobo's offense might not run him into the ground. That's true. I'm I'm worried about his touches increasing because he he really didn't touch the ball a whole lot last year. You, you look at on average. I mean, he was he was probably in the teens in touches per game, including pass targets Lance maybe you can go and find some of his mm-hmm. his game logs and just get me some more hard stats on that but I, I I'm worried he's going to catch the ball a lot more this year which is a great thing for the Auburn offense I say worried I I think his touches increase his usage rate increases I think it adds another dynamic though to the offense mm-hmm. which is a good thing but it, uh, if we're talking about potential for injury to a running back the guy will probably be used more this year yeah okay so looking at, at his attempts Let's go let's go quickly by game. Kentucky had six. Georgia he had eight. Arkansas he had twenty. South Carolina he had sixteen. Ole Miss he had twenty-four. LSU he had fifteen. Tennessee he only had three because he got injured really early in that game. Alabama he had eleven. AM he had nine. And then he had twenty-six to finish the season uh, a season high against Mississippi State. He yep. he was injured for yeah, the Alabama and Texas AM games, he was still dealing with that injury. So they were still running him a little bit when he was kind of hobbled so he averaged 13.8 carries a game and maybe you add a couple more touches to that just because the of the injuries and whatnot mm-hmm. and, and receptions sure but I wonder if that increases under Harson a little bit because I think you will be incorporating more into the passing game but does that take away running back touches for him where he's actually running the football that's the other question I wonder how much of a focal point he is in the offense how much this offense is built around Tank Bigsby and the other things if if, if you're wanting to make the argument for Auburn to be a you know a breakout team this year yes tank bigsby has to be a part of it but i think for auburn to get there everything else around tank bigsby has to come along especially the quarterback position yep and the yep. offensive line well here's the thing as well it's like i understand the injuries are a factor but but if we're if we're not if we're not thinking assuming that he's going to get hurt he should be somewhat of a focal point of this offense right because they're breaking in three new receivers right yes and he's going to get the ball thrown to him a lot i i feel that I feel that vibe strongly right now with the Auburn offense because that is a part of the new age evolution of college football. And for some reason, Gus Malzahn did not want to incorporate running backs into the passing game unless it was a wheel route. And it may have happened once every other ball game. I don't know why that was the case. And I don't know why that it was always about Harold Joyner when he, like Harold Joyner steps in field, you're like, wheel route, here you go. <laughs> like you knew, you knew what was happening. Or, or flat. Yes, like in in Malik. Knicks uh, would throw it a yard behind him. Malik, lose yes, to Georgia. Malik Miller. There's been so many Maliks to come through the Auburn program recently. Malik Miller the was actually a back. pretty good receiving back because yes, the screen pass. Uh, Auburn just didn't incorporate it on a regular basis with their original starting. He running was back. also a fantastic pass blocker, so it kind of everything gelled for him to be in the game at that time because he Malik could Miller be a screen was or underused. Could. Malik Miller was yeah. underused. He was yeah, he not played. fast. He was like the shape of a brick. Like, if you tried to rush him off the edge, you just, nope, can't do it. Well, he played at Madison Academy with carry-on. I didn't realize that. They did. They played together. That. The more you know. The more you know. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we will wrap up the show here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. 
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's pause for a second. Let's listen to what's on TV tonight as we get ready for the evening. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's the fourth edition of the auditions on America's Got Talent at 7 on NBC. I don't think that Lego hats are very practical. Nonetheless, teams will attempt to craft them on a new episode of Lego Masters at 7 on Fox. Some movie selections for tonight, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover star in Lethal Weapon 3 on AMC at 7. Over on Freeform at 6, you can catch the live action version of Beauty and the Beast. One of the greatest basketball movies of all time. Hoosiers is on FS1 at 6. In live sports, it's game two of the Western Conference Finals between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are up 1-0 with tonight's game on ESPN at 8. In college baseball, Mississippi State and Virginia advance to the winner's bracket of the College World Series. They play tonight at 6 on ESPN2. NHL playoffs, the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights meet for game five with the series tied at 2. Catch the game at 8 on NBCSN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line, we got two minutes left until the drive with Bill Cameron on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama, as they do every weekday from four to six. So stay tuned for that. Let's talk a little NBA basketball here. The Atlanta Hawks getting started with the Eastern Conference Finals. What is that tomorrow night? Yes, that the, is tomorrow night. The, the future NBA champions, Atlanta Hawks, are playing tomorrow night against the Bucks. Wouldn't that be cool? That's a joke. That's I saw joke. Stephen A. Smith talking about something earlier today on First Take, and I thought it was a pretty interesting question. And he was talking about how Trey Young, according to him, is the most important player between both of these teams in the Eastern Conference Finals. I disagree with that, but right. I he provided a, a good take, a good argument on it. So now I'll ask you, who's the most important player in the Eastern Conference Finals? I'll say this really quick. I think it, the, Atlanta's entire supporting cast has to be if, if, if is it just as important or if not more important than Trey Young because Trey Young's going to get his. He's going to get his points. He's going to get his assists. But the rest of the supporting cast is overachieved up until this point. They collectively as a team have to continue to overachieve in order to get to the finals. That's my opinion. I, so. don't, I don't think that that supporting cast, though, and this was Stephen A. Smith's argument, I agree with it. I don't think that supporting cast can possibly hope to play above and beyond if Trey Young isn't distributing the basketball to him, if Trey Young's not setting them up with opportunities. So even more so, even for the supporting cast to play in above and beyond, it's almost like Trey Young has to play even more above and beyond then he's got to be Superman lifting up planet Earth, you know? It's I, like that. I, I agree with that, and especially without DeAndre Hunter being there. So you almost have zero defense in this Hawks lineup. It's all about the score. You get to keep up with the other team and make crucial stops, which, you know, Atlanta did that in the Philadelphia series. They made stops when they needed to. They weren't making stops throughout the games, but they were making stops when they needed to. So I, I really think that Trey Young is the most important player in this series because – of how much he kind of generates the offense. Now, I will say that Lou Williams comes off the bench and does a really good job at it as well. I go in a different direction here as most important player. I go with Giannis. I'm there with you. And my reason is there is nothing on the Atlanta Hawks roster. And you've said this to me. I agree. There is nothing on the Atlanta Hawks roster that can account for Giannis alone. So he he disrupts what you want to do from a defensive game plan perspective. Do you ignore Giannis and say, ah, we can't do it? We're not going to be able to stop him. Let's let him just get his 40 and focus on shutting down the supporting cast and limiting Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker and Brooke, and Brooke Lopez. Do you worry about those guys? And then that brings up the interesting debate. Is it easier to shut down Giannis or four other players? Mm-hmm. That's the other question. It, Giannis changes the whole dynamic of the series because the Hawks have nothing, have no one 
that can guard him. You have to hack a Giannis whenever you have the chance to. That's that what, what will Lance have to said happen. Yesterday. And it's it's going to have to be an extreme version of what they did with Ben Simmons. And how do you not foul out in that case, too? No, nah, right? that's tough. Maybe Cam Reddish will be ready. Because then that hurts you on the offensive end because guys are going to have, you're going to have to be subbing guys out a lot to get guys in there that you want to foul. If Cam Reddish plays, that makes a difference. Sporting cast is important. Even though he hasn't been very good, you're like, just throw him out there to foul him. Right. Sure. Exactly. That's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.